1: Welcome to LiveWire. For this week's podcast, we are doing something a little different. We've been playing some, some interviews that were pulled from the LiveWire archives uh, throughout the summer. But this week, what we're going to do is actually play a standalone interview that I conducted in Chicago with mortician Caitlin Doty. Uh, Caitlin Doty is someone I've been personally fascinated with for years. I did a story for CBS Sunday Morning about her work. Uh, She is an author and a blogger. She is an advocate for really rethinking the American funereal industrial complex. Um, She is an advocate for death acceptance. And she is just an all-around fascinating person who also created a web series called Ask a Mortician, which you might have seen on YouTube. Um, She's also a founder of this organization called The Order of the Good Death. um, And she is the author of two best-selling books, so take a listen to this. It's me and Caitlin Doty chatting in the studios of WBEZ in Chicago. Caitlin Doty, welcome to LiveWire. Thank you for having me. So when you were about 22 years old, you decided to start looking for jobs at uh, crematoriums?
0: Yeah, traditional 22-year-old rite of passage. You're 22 and it's time to work at your local crematory. I, I did and it totally changed my life. Why why were you interested in that job at that age? It's it's complicated. I think I can look back and have a whole superhero narrative for myself where I saw a young girl fall. Um, off a second story balcony when I was really young. And that really traumatically impacted me, made me a little obsessed with death. As I got older, I became much more interested in the academic side of death. I did medieval history in college. And by the time I was 22, I was just really genuinely interested in what was going on behind the scenes at funeral homes.
1: So you actually got a job working at a a crematory. And I understand that you had a sort of an epiphany one day when you were when you were down there cremating bodies kind of by yourself.
0: I think what it was. So crematories, most crematories, honestly, in the United States are a kind of warehouse vibe. It's big industrial machines in a big industrial warehouse. And every day it was me cremating these bodies by myself. There was no family. It was Me feeling like I was doing this almost sacred task, consigning this body into the flames. And it's some dumb 22-year-old girl in her dress from Ross Dress for Less and some boots. And it just didn't feel as sacred to me as it should. And it got me really interested in the history of the American funeral industry and why it was some girl alone with all these bodies.
1: Uh, One of the things that you've written and talked about pretty extensively is the fact that what we think of as... The way death happens and the way funeral happens is a relatively new thing, right?
0: It's very 20th century, and we call it the traditional funeral industry when we think about embalming, chemically preserving the body and the hearse and the makeup and the casket. We think of that as traditional, but that wasn't traditional at all. For hundreds of years of American history, traditional was someone dies at home, the family takes care of the dead body, the husband makes a wooden coffin with a neighbor, and the bodies carried on their shoulders to the local graveyard. And that's tradition. But when the American funeral industry became an industry, that's when we have a sense of, of the 20th century, what I call the funeral industrial complex.
1: Why did that spring up, the Funeral Industrial Complex?
0: It starts in the Civil War, so a little pre-20th century, but it starts when all of these northern soldiers are going down to fight in the south, dying. It's really important to the families to see their dead bodies, so they pay these battlefield embalmers who are kind of like ambulance chasers. They go from battle to battle setting up their embalming tents, and they pay them to embalm the bodies and put them on the train and send them back north. After the civil war is over, there are these quote unquote trained embalmers and these chemical companies start producing embalming fluid. So these chemical companies start sending embalmers out across the United States to recruit embalmers and to open funeral establishments. So this narrative springs up that this is a necessary thing. That it's necessary to embalm the dead body because it might not be safe to keep it at home and you might not be qualified as the average person to take care of a body. So it was an industry that didn't start with a need but then continued on not much of a solid ground at all. But if you do it with enough fervor and insist that it's something that people need, it's worked because 150 years later, most people would never consider not using a funeral home. Did
1: that also coincide conveniently, I guess, with some sort of growing death phobia for Americans? Like part of why we sort of embrace this funeral industrial complex is because we're kind of afraid of death and dead bodies. But 200 years ago, were we as afraid?
0: We definitely weren't as afraid. So the idea of the dead body in the home. I mean, there's always this, this awe around a corpse, but it wasn't the same kind of actual fear that we have now. But there was something called miasma theory, which was really the dominant idea at the time. And miasma theory is the idea that deadness and disease is floating off rotting things. So whether it's a dead body, an overcrowded graveyard, sewage, garbage, whatever smells and is rotting, that's where disease is coming from, floating off as a miasma. So people became more and more afraid of graveyards and corpses because they thought that's where infectious diseases came from. And around the turn of the 20th century, it became clear, surprise, there are these things called germs. And that's where disease is actually coming from. But it was almost like the fake news of the time. Scientists were explaining, here's germ theory, here's how it actually works. But people were going, nope, miasma it's miasma that's it and so it was really hard to convince people and i think it carries over to today that dead bodies are not floating deadness and disease off of them as soon as the death happens and that leads
1: i guess to what you think is one of the largest misconceptions about death which is that dead bodies are dangerous
0: exactly and my my refrain is just taking care of your body is safe and legal, safe and legal, safe and legal. And safe is almost the bigger hurdle to get across because people genuinely believe that the dead body is dangerous. And the fact is, even if a body was decomposing in front of you, which if you interact with the body for a couple of hours, even a couple days, the body does not immediately start decomposing. But even if it did, those bacteria are not the same bacteria that cause disease. They're completely different bacteria. And Also, even if there was an infectious disease, you know, your grandmother who died in Kansas City didn't die of Ebola. She didn't die of the plague. She didn't die of avian bird flu. She died of pancreatic cancer or something like that. And the idea that we need to be terrified about these infectious diseases in the modern American landscape is is pretty ridiculous. But most people just aren't told that. And the funeral industry certainly doesn't want to tell them that either. We're talking to Caitlin Doty. Her new
1: book is From Here to Eternity. This is Live Wire Radio from PRI. I'm Luke Burbank. So all this stuff that we're talking about could to some people seem sort of macabre, uh, you know, whether or not dead bodies are are dangerous to us and the handling of them and all of this stuff. And yet it's all leading to this larger idea from you, I think, which is that we have more rights when it comes to dealing with our loved ones who have passed away. And there is, you think, a better way to do this than what we typically do in the United States,
0: right? I do. And I think that there are a lot of people who are waking up to the idea that they want more involvement. And it might start just as a sense of, okay, when my dad died, I wasn't allowed to see him at all. They just took away his body like it was an emergency. And then when I did see him, he had makeup on and I kind of awkwardly patted his hand and it just didn't mean a lot to me. So I'm wondering about when my mom dies, could I just hang out with her at home? Could I just have her at home? Oh, that might be dangerous and illegal. And that's where I come in. So if you already have this idea that this is maybe something you want to do, you might just need someone who has a funeral home, who's a funeral professional to tell you, yeah, it is safe, it is legal. It's completely within your right to say, I don't wanna call a funeral home immediately when mom dies and treat it as an emergency. I just wanna sit with her, hold her hand, tell some stories, brush her hair, and when something shifts in me where I feel like it's okay to let her go, then I'll call the funeral home.
1: Does that affect our ability to grieve, you think, either being around the body or not being around the body?
0: I do 100%. I don't have any hard scientific data on this. I wish I did. I wish I could point to, like, in a survey of 900 corpses, we found, but... What I do think happens again and again, or what I hear again and again, anecdotally, is that people who go to a quote-unquote traditional wake with an embalmed body with the makeup and the suit, they leave, especially younger people, with a sort of awkward feeling about it. And like they didn't really get to spend time with the body and they were kind of hustled along and it wasn't this deep, meaningful experience that they might have wanted. I also hear a lot that when the body is just taken away and cremated, that there's this sense of longing for some people. But what I hear about people who just take the time to sit with the unembalmed body, as it naturally is, looking kind of dead, and rightly so, is incredibly positive things. It's like chocolate or puppies. It's just, you know, universally rah-rah after someone does it. And the reason I keep doing this work and keep advocating for these things is because I keep hearing such positive feedback about what a healing, engaging, emotionally difficult but rich experience just sitting with a dead body can be.
1: You're wearing a T-shirt that says death positive. Can you explain that term? Because I think some people might hear that and think these people are like pro-death.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Death positive doesn't mean we want you to die. It doesn't mean that when your mom dies, you're supposed to get over it because death is positive. That's not what it means. It means death has such a negative connotation in our society that it means we can't talk about this very natural part Of our lives. It's the natural end. You know, it's not a specialty niche topic that I work with. You know, surprise, a spoiler, it's coming for you all. So why don't we have this open discussion? Why don't we? say it's okay to be interested in the history we've been talking about today in cultures and how they handle death in the art of death in the science of death death has everything in it it's this like very it's very cool in that way that it contains so much and is so fascinating and you're not morbid or macabre or weird or wrong for wanting to engage in that do you
1: think that your interest in this affects how you live your life as in Making, I don't know if peace is the right word, but at least being open and honest, talking about how death works affects how you move through life when you're in the living part of it,
0: yes, completely. And this is what I get all the time from people who are also making an effort to face down their death in whatever form they they can is that there are some things that are hard to fix. The sense of, especially for a secular person, that they're going into nothingness and there's nothing beyond this. That's very existential and that's hard to address. But... I think there are things that are easy to address. For example, nobody needs to be afraid of a dead body. Nobody should be afraid of what's going to happen to their dead body. Nobody should be afraid of what's going to happen to their family. Because these are things we can easily address. We can do paperwork. We can face the realities. We can know about the science. We can know about what's really going to happen. And those things really, really do help. And they're almost fast fixes. In
1: terms of how we think about this stuff, I guess?
0: In terms of how we think about it, yeah. And so there's a really wonderful list. I actually have a video that I made about it. I think it's just called Why Are You Afraid of Death? And there was this amazing thing in the Journal of Abnormal Psychology that listed the seven reasons why people fear their own death. And I think they really cover the bases really well. There are things like I'm afraid that nothing's going to happen to my soul i'm afraid that something bad is going to happen to my soul i'm afraid of what's going to happen to my dead body i'm going afraid of that my friends and family are going to be left with with nothing or or in tragedy and you can go through and i recommend figuring out what number you are or several numbers you are and then addressing those specifically. So you might be a number two and a number four, let's say. You might not want to leave your kids behind or your wife behind and that might be your big fear. Okay, look directly into that and you may not care at all what happens to your dead body. So that's not your fear, but everybody has different fears and we should be breaking those down and acknowledging them and really having someone engage with what their actual fears are because most people have no idea why they actually fear death. They just hear death and they go, ah, no, not death. Ah." But what about it? Death is not a monolith. There are all of these things that are within death that are the actual fears that you have.
1: We're talking to Caitlin Doty here on LiveWire, the person behind Ask a Mortician on YouTube and behind the new book From Here to Eternity, uh, where you traveled the world basically looking at how other cultures outside the U.S. tend to treat uh, death and funerals. Um, One of the places that you visited for your new book, From Here to Eternity, uh, is Indonesia, where there's a tradition of people spending a considerable amount of time with the corpses of their loved ones.
0: There is. I call it the holy grail of corpse interaction. And it's so rural that I thought I would never be able to actually go there. But I was given the opportunity and they have a ritual called the manene. And what the manene means is they mummify their dead when the person dies and sometimes the dead body is kept in the house for several years where they bring it food and they dress them and they keep them in the home because they're not really considered dead at that point. And then a funeral takes place where a bull or a um, buffalo or pig is slaughtered And at that point, the soul is allowed to move on, but it's still attached to the body. It's a much softer border with the idea of death that they have. And then they're put in these house graves. And every three years or so, the bodies are still taken out on this particular day or weekend in August. And their clothes are pulled off. The mummified corpse is cleaned with paintbrushes. And the clothes are put back on. And it's their time to interact with their dead loved ones years after the person has died.
1: Were you able to get a sense for what that does for the survivors?
0: People say, oh, does it feel like they just aren't getting over their grief? Because seven years later, they're still bringing mom out of the grave. I didn't get that sense. It feels very normal. So, for example, the patriarch of the family was often the one that they wanted to unwrap and clean. They can't do everyone, unfortunately. So you really have to pick your favorite corpse to unwrap and clean. So when the patriarch would be unwrapped, there would be older women who would come around and just weep and grab at him and have this moment. But I got the sense that they didn't do this every day. It wasn't like every night they said, oh, he's not here anymore, I'm weeping, I'm wailing, but they were seeing him again. It was this flashback, because you never really get over someone you loved dying. So it's almost this kind of beautiful way to revisit your grief at this particular time and, and never forget. And a lot of cultures have this time, Día de los Muertos in Mexico, for instance, when you're supposed to revisit your grief. And it's a special time of year that you're supposed to come back to the fact that someone you loved has died. And in America, we don't really have those specialized times. We have just a lot of complicated grief where we never quite get over it, but it seeps in negative ways into different parts of our lives. Is there anything
1: that you can attribute that to? I mean, maybe other than just the sort of funeral industrial complex, as you call it. Like, why is it that other countries seem to have in a way, a more effective uh, and and maybe you could say healthier way of dealing with with grief and
0: death. Oh, you mean I can't blame the funeral industry for everything? Darn. Um, It it does take two to tango. It is the American culture. Americans choose to go to these funeral homes, and they don't have to. I mean, it's certainly easy to look at our pop culture and see all of the zombies and all of the crime. Right. You must be, uh,
1: based on what I know about you, you must, like— really not be a fan of like The Walking Dead and these shows that show corpses as being not only uh, uh, contaminated, but literally trying to kill you.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like all this, all a zombie is, is a decomposing corpse. They don't have any special skills. They don't shoot fire. They don't do anything cool. They're just corpses, but we're still terrified of them. And I don't appreciate that, but I also have a lot of sympathy for it because You grow up in this culture where the corpse is bad, the corpse is evil, they are out to get you, and you're still incredibly attracted to it. People who are watching these crime shows or watching these zombie shows or watching this horror are obviously incredibly attracted to the idea of death, but they can't allow themselves to go too far. They have to keep it in this aestheticized, dangerous place because they can't accept the natural reality of the dead body. And... I find that sad, and I I want them to be able to do both if they'd like. So there's a woman named Jessica Mitford who wrote this book in the early 60s called The American Way of Death. And she was actually British, but it was a takedown of the American funeral industry and how high-priced and gaudy it all was. And she advocated for something called direct cremation, which is just... No services, don't hang out with the body, don't see the body, just send it right into the cremation machine, and then a week later you get the ashes back. I have a lot of respect for her, but I also think she was flawed in that argument. I think that just saying, we don't need ritual at all, just take the body away and cremate it— is wrong in many ways. And you hear this all the time now, especially with older people, baby boomers, who say, ah, oh, just take me, flush me down the toilet, burn me. I don't care about death. I've never been afraid of death. It doesn't bother me at all. And I don't believe them. I just don't believe them. I think that if you're someone who's really faced death and the death of everyone you love, you have a lot of profound respect for death and what it can do. And the people who just dismiss it I don't know that they're on the right track either. So I think that in America, we have this combination of people who are deeply afraid of death and don't even want to talk about it and people who dismiss it and its almost magical power. And working in tandem, nobody is really getting this intimate, meaningful, ritualistic experience around death.
1: We're either making... Way too big of a deal of it, or not enough of a big deal exactly. of
0: it. Exactly, we're on these extreme ends of the spectrum. That whereas doesn't sound most like America. Of, I know where we're on these
1: extreme ends I of the know. spectrum. On I know. I know. It's not.
0: It's not like it's a divided culture <laughs> where we're getting more and more divided into opposite ends of a spectrum. Uh, but it, there's this middle ground that most other countries have. Where yeah, most countries are afraid of death. Most countries are afraid of the dead body in a in a way, but. Most countries also value the fact that when someone dies, it's supposed to be this sacred time, whether you're religious or not, it's supposed to be this sacred time where you take several days to be in this in-between space where you're with the body, where you're mourning, where you're doing rituals, and only then do you let the body go. And beyond that, you keep talking about it. It always breaks my heart in America where I hear stories about people going back to their work, being forced to go back to work four days after their husband of 32 years dies. And then when they get back to work, nobody wants to talk to him about it. Nobody wants to mention his name. They just sort of say sorry and shuffle past the cubicle. And that's a very American thing as well.
1: We're talking to Caitlin Doty on LiveWire. Her new book is From Here to Eternity. Um You are, uh, you're a mortician. Uh, You have directed many funerals and uh, memorials. Uh, What would your advice be to people who are at a job and someone that, uh, that they work three desks down from has lost somebody? How should we try to interact with people who are going through this?
0: There's a couple things. First of all, don't think that you bringing it up is going to remind them of the death. Their husband just died. That's what they're thinking about. It's not like they're going to go, oh, damn it. I forgot that my husband of 32 years was dead. I hate that you reminded me. They're going to appreciate that you break that tension by saying something. Second, just acknowledge their grief and say sorry and ask them how they're doing. Because that gives the power to the grieving person. If they don't want to talk about it, they can just say, you know, I'm, I'm holding up. Thanks. And they can shut down the conversation that way. But it also gives them an opportunity to talk about it if they want to. If they're in a particularly bad place, if they're having a bad day, that allows them to talk about it and opens up the conversation. And it makes it about them. It doesn't make it. People want to have something to say. So they have talking points like, oh, I know how you feel. You don't know how they feel. Or I went through a similar thing. You didn't go through a similar thing or it's he's in a better place. You don't know that. You don't know what this person believes about a better place. Don't put your own opinion into it. Just ask how they're doing and they can decide whether or not they want to open up to you.
1: Um, You run a, would you call it a funeral home in Los Angeles? It
0: is a funeral home. It's a licensed funeral home in the city and county of Los Angeles.
1: But one of the, uh, I think, differences about what you're doing down there is, uh, that a lot of these awakes are and funerals are performed in people's actual Homes. Tell me how that works.
0: Exactly. So, we want to give people the opportunity to be more involved. And that means very different things to different people. That could mean anything from someone dies and you have a two day long wake in the home. That could mean that you just don't want to call us for two or three hours and just sit with the body. That could mean we come pick up the body, but you come into our funeral home and help us dress the body or wash the body or just sit with the body there. We just want you to be as involved as you think would make you comfortable. And you know what? It can also change as things go along. What's the
1: kind of journey for a person who's had someone pass away, who comes to your funeral home, and then starts interacting potentially with the body? I mean, I have to say even personally, I think I would initially be kind of, afraid of that whole situation
0: absolutely and here's what we found it only takes one person in the family a living person obviously to want to do this to get the rest of the family involved so say that your mother died we bring your mother in to the funeral home and you're outside with several other people and someone else in your family really wants to come in and they want to help dress her and put a little bit of her favorite makeup on what happens inevitably is they go in and then a little head pops around the corner and it's another family member just kind of wanting to see. And before you know it, they're going, wait, that's not the shade of lipstick. No, you- no, 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 no. And they come in and then someone else comes in. And then before you know it, the whole family is around dressing mom, interacting, talking about mom, arguing about mom. And it just happens in this natural way.
1: It sounds like. You're saying like a lot of things that are scary to us, it's really about a sort of an anxiety that we have. But once we push through that a little bit, we find that it's much less scary than we thought.
0: That's exactly it. And with the, with the body, even more so, the, the way that people feel after they're with the body is really important and valuable. They come in and they see mother and she's dead. And that's scary. But very quickly, they realize that it's also their mother. If I put you in a small room with a random corpse, oh, dear God, that's a random corpse. That's freaky. But if I put you in a room with your mother, that's your mother. And she's dead. And she's starting to change. Her her skin's getting a little colder. She's very, very still. But it's still your mother. And this is still someone that you had a relationship with your entire life. And it's still important to be there with her. And it's completely different than The Walking Dead. It's completely different than a crime show. It's completely different than a random body. It's your mom.
1: Do you think that you and the other folks who are part of the death positive movement, do you think you're having a measurable impact on on Americans and, and how we're thinking about death and performing funerals? <laughs> I sure do,
0: but I'm also like doing this every day and completely steeped in it. So right. it feels like we are. But I will say... All of these things are growing. All of these ideas are growing. We're opening more and more green or natural cemeteries where you can just dig a shallow hole and put the body straight into the ground. More and more people are having home funerals or just delayed removals, which is when you just don't call the funeral home right away. But you say, I'm going to sit with mom till I feel ready. It's not an emergency. Um, It's happening more and more that people want to witness the cremation or be there to push the button to start the machine, or to put the dirt back on the grave. They want to be more involved. And funeral homes are, are reporting that, that people want that. And the good funeral homes are going, great, sure, we can help you with that, absolutely. You want a lock of mom's hair? Yeah, we can absolutely do that. And the bad funeral homes are saying, oh no, you're not a, you're not a death professional. That's not That's not how we do things here. We'll take care of that if you want that done. And I hope that enough people get angry about that, that they won't use those funeral homes. What if someone passes away in the hospital? You know, here's something that's been really surprising to us. We thought that if someone died in a hospital or if someone died in, say, a tragic way, they were in the um, morgue, for instance, that people wouldn't want to interact with them or dress them or be with them as much. That is not true. We've done so many services where someone's body was torn up in a motorcycle accident or someone was shot and the family still says, we don't care. We want to come in. We want to come in. We want to dress the body. We want to be with the body. And they insist on it. We don't have control over it. So what we do is we just explain to them exactly what they're going to see. Dad has these skid marks. Dad has, you know, his face is a little wonky on this side just so you're completely aware. And they come in and it's a more difficult encounter but it's still obviously incredibly cathartic
1: so for folks that and as you point out we will all face this unless we're the person who has passed we will all face this at some point in our life i guess your message is uh you have more rights uh than you might think you have the the body is not dangerous and uh It doesn't have to be the way that it's been for the last hundred years or
0: something. That's a great summary. And first of all, if you made it this far, I think you're interested. But if you don't want this at all, don't worry. There is a whole funeral industry that's worked the same way for the past 75 to 100 years that wants to take the body away right away, chemically embalm it, put makeup on it and take care of everything. You're set. You don't have to do this at all. But if something in what we've talked about sparks something in you, look into it and exactly realize that you have these rights. This is your body. I can't tell you, even as a funeral owner, especially as a funeral homeowner, I can't tell you what to do with your mom or your dad or your husband when they die. That should be you. And I'm here to help you. You don't have to do it all on your own. I'm here to help you. But... Anything that's meaningful to you, let's make sure that that's available to you and that you're able to explore it and you're able to explore it safely, emotionally safely in an environment where you feel comfortable.
1: Caitlin Doty's newest book is From Here to Eternity. She's also the author of Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and uh, the person behind the YouTube channel, Ask a Mortician. Caitlin, thanks for coming on LiveWire. It's so great to see you. All right, that is going to do it for this week's LiveWire podcast, short Big thanks to Caitlin Doty for being fascinating and fearless. Uh, For more information about Livewire, if you'd like to listen to other episodes of the podcast, of which there are many, or if you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, of which there is one per week, I think, um, head to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. Thank you again for listening and being a part of the Livewire experience. Uh, We will see you next week. Livewire is supported, in part, by Fully. Listen, you know in your heart of hearts that sitting around at work all day, that ain't great for you. But guess what? It's not just your heart of hearts. There's actually a lot of science backing that up, which is why Livewire partners with Fully, the company that believes people weren't meant to be glued to a chair all day. Fully has curated the best collection, and I've been there, by the way. I've met them, I've seen the stuff, and I can testify. They've got the best collection of standing desks, active sitting chairs, and other workspace tools that encourage us to move. Uh, I've got the TikTok stool. In fact, I'm sitting on it right now. I don't know if you can hear me rocking back and forth on it. But uh, the folks that fully sent me this thing, and it is just a dream. Uh, it's comfortable to sit on, but it keeps me engaged in the work that I'm doing, keeps the blood flowing, and, uh, and it's really improved my life as I... Uh, work to host your favorite public radio show and podcast known as LiveWire in case you needed a reminder anyway if you would like to be better at what you're doing and stay more engaged check out Fully get your body moving in your workspace by going to Fully.com slash LiveWire that's F-U-L-L-Y dot com slash LiveWire Fully desks, chairs, and things to keep you moving
0: P-R-I Public Radio International.
1: Dear Livewire, When we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many many rapturously smitten listeners oh wait actually no sorry this is from elena anyway the point is uh it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review feel free to say really nice things about us and uh we'll even read them now and then on the show so you might hear your review of livewire read on the program itself a uh, reviews help other people hear about the show and then we can keep doing this for a long long time because we love having this job Uh, Thank you so much. If you've left a review and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.